curiosity a true crime podcast i'm your host jade and i hope you're having a good day and if not i hope it gets better on some level so i didn't upload a episode last week because i was struggling a lot mentally and it wasn't fair to me and it wasn't fair to you guys for me to one throw away the most important thing which is your mental health your mental health is very important and it wouldn't be fair to you guys if i gave you an episode that was like butchered or like i half-assed the episode so i just took that time off to just research and to just focus on myself and here we are i'm feeling much better so last week or if you want to say like two weeks ago, we (laughs) talked about the Omaima Nelson case. So today we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Heather Elvis. I forgot how I knew about this case. I think I learned about it on 2020 because every Friday night at nine o'clock, you can catch me there doing it. But let me tell you, this case is a roller coaster. Um, So let's not waste time and let's just get started. Heather Elvis was born on June 30th, 1993, to her parents, Terry and Debbie Elvis, in Horry County, South Carolina. She was described as the life of the party, free-spirited, ambitious, you know, she lived for herself, and she had this huge, amazing personality. She enjoyed doing makeup and wanted to make a career out of it. In 2011, she graduated from St. James High School and went on to pursue her degree in cosmetology. While she was working on her degree, she worked at the Tilted Kilt Pub as a waitress in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And the Tilted Kilt that she worked at, it's basically like a Hooters in the sense of their uniform is like really skimpy. I went there once. I was like 10. (laughs) And I was like, how, why, why are they dressed like that? But that's basically how they dress. Their uniform is very skimpy. So because she was working, she was able to move out of her parents' house and live in an apartment with her best friend, Brianna, who was her co-worker as well. In... June 2013, 20-year-old Heather takes an interest in 37-year-old Sidney Moore. He has his own maintenance company and would come by and repair things in the kitchen at the restaurant. Now, Heather thought that he was so handsome and charming and she just ended up having a crush on him. When they were around each other, they would flirt with one another and Heather would tell her friend Brianna the things he said to her, the things they did. It was like a high school crush, you know, when you just can't stop talking and thinking about them. And she was just like head over heels about this man. Heather was 
very active on Twitter. Just like, I feel like everyone in like 2013, that era was so active on Twitter. But just like any person on Twitter, she would always talk about her feelings. On June 12, 2013, she tweeted, quote, I got taste for men who are older, end quote. A month later, on July 7th, she tweeted, quote, The guy who builds things at my job makes me want to cream myself, end quote. She posted another tweet the same day, saying, quote, One of these days, I will drag that man into the mob closet and have my way with him, end quote. Sydney would often come into the restaurant when he wasn't working to deliver coffee and bagels and you know he would send her these cute little notes basically doing anything and everything to make her feel special and make her feel like as Rihanna said the only girl in the world I hope you got that (laughs) like basically made her feel like she was the only girl in the world they would do things you don't necessarily do at work you you save it until you reach home and you're in bed um so yeah so now it was a full-blown relationship she tweeted on july 12th quote baby did a bad thing i'm in way too deep but watch me get in deeper end quote so you can definitely say that heather was in love with sydney She told her sister, for one, that she loved him and he loved her and they saw this amazing future together. Everyone that knew about the relationship said it was only a physical attraction. Like they, like her friends, co-workers didn't even know the guy and Heather didn't even know the guy at all either. Her friends didn't approve of the relationship because he was 17 years older than Heather and more most or more importantly Sydney was a married man he was married for not 2 days but he was married for 15 years at the time to his wife 40-year-old Tammy she was a part-time travel agent and a stay-at-home mom to her 3 children now, Heather knew that Sydney was a married man, but she didn't care. She kind of, you know, just dive, you know, head first into basically the relationship. She didn't really care. Their affair went on until September 2013. And on September 21st, 2013, she tweeted, quote, Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well, end quote, which was about their relationship. In October 2013, Tammy finds out about the affair and she's absolutely livid. This wasn't Sydney's first affair. In order for him to stay faithful to Tammy in Tammy's eyes, she would handcuff him to the bed every single night. And if it sounds like I'm questioning everything, it's because I'm actually questioning everything. So she would handcuff him to the bed every night 
Wherever he went, she would be right beside him. She changed the password on his phone to where only she knew, and he even got Tammy's name tattooed right above his crotch. And Sydney agreed to all of this because he wanted to save the marriage as well, but he had two affairs, so I'm not really understanding that part. How do you want to save something, but you're not helping? I don't know. I'm not married. I don't, I don't know. Tammy started calling and texting Heather saying stuff like, I know you and my husband are together. I know about the two of you and you need to stop. And on the other end of the call, Sydney is there listening as well. And Sydney basically says, quote, you're nothing to me and you were just there to open your legs, end quote. So he basically degraded her and made her feel horrible about herself. And he only did it because Tammy was right there and he was forced to say those things. There was a time that Tammy called Heather 40 times in one day. Like, I get it. You're upset that you find out that your husband is having another affair. But take that up with your husband. I, I don't have the time of day, especially if I'm a grown woman with three kids. How do you manage to call someone 40 times a day? I struggle to call one person one time a day, much less 40 times a day. Maybe it's just me, but I don't have the energy or time to do so. But Tammy doesn't stop with the phone calls. She just keeps calling and keeps threatening Heather and Sydney and Heather thought the best way to handle this whole situation was to taunt Tammy saying things like why are you texting me you should be worried about your husband Tammy again would take it to another level and send Heather pictures of both Tammy and Sydney in bed together doing intimate stuff it was just high school drama just a bunch of back and forth tammy still kept contacting heather saying quote hey sweetie ready to meet the missus end quote and i read that over so many times i was like what does mrs mean what is what is that does tammy not know how to spell what is and then i realized that missus as in like the wife hey sweetie are you ready to meet the wife that's what she meant i'm a little slow I didn't pick it up. <laughs> so Heather responded a couple of days later on November 1st saying, quote, I think you're a little obsessed with me. No need to worry about me anymore. On November 5th, Tammy responded by saying, quote, by the way, dad no longer owns a phone, end quote, which she was referring to Sydney not having a phone, so she couldn't contact him. Tammy also tried to get Heather fired from the Tilted Kilt. She would call the restaurant on a daily basis and tell them that Sydney will no longer fix things as long as Heather is working there. It was reported as well that Sydney did text Heather again, saying that Tammy wasn't entitled to feel 
the way she did about the affair and act the way she did because she had a lover as well but it ended up being a lie but like later on um throughout the rest of the story I'm going to tell you but Tammy says something along the lines of having a lover so were the two of them in something oh no they both agreed to end the relationship because nothing good was coming out of it. It just created drama, a whole bunch of stress, no progress. They're just, it's not even one step forward, it's like three steps back. But Heather told Sydney that she wanted Tammy to stop calling the restaurant because she said, quote, I lost hours today because they sent me home after she kept calling, end quote. November 5th was the last time that Heather and Sydney saw each other and after they agreed to end their relationship. On Twitter, she retweeted a tweet by a comedian that you can say definitely 100% was a little personal. The tweet read, quote, Hey married fellas, you can either cheat on your wife or murder her. Never both. That's when you get caught. End quote. And I think that that is quite something. Because, I don't know. I don't know. That, that tweet was a little, uh, it was a little out there. You know what I'm saying? So, there was no more communication between Heather, Sydney, and Tammy. Tammy and Sydney decided to buy a brand new black Ford F-150 and drive all the way to California with their kids to go to Disneyland. And this trip lasted three weeks and they came back on October 11th. And the trip was a way to rekindle their romance, you can say, and put all the drama behind them and move forward. When they got back on October 11th, um, and according to Heather's friends and family, Heather had moved on from the affair. She got a job at a beauty parlor in Myrtle Beach and started before Christmas. In December, Heather's roommate and best friend Brianna left town to visit family in Florida, and she and Heather would update each other on you know, whatever they were doing. And Heather told Brianna that she was going on a date with a man. The man's name is Stephen Sheraldi. He picked her up on December 17th at around 7 p.m. They went out to go eat. They drove around to look at Christmas lights. And then he drove her to the Inlet Mall where he taught her how to drive a stick shift because his truck was a stick shift. She texted Brianna saying that she's at the Inlet Mall and Stephen is teaching her how to drive a stick shift. And Stephen took a picture and sent it to Brianna and her father. And her dad was, you can most definitely say, proud of her because he has a truck that Heather loves and he's always wanted to teach her how to drive a stick shift. And he was just happy that you know, she was learning something she's always wanted to do. 
But this would be the last picture that they would ever see of Heather. At this point, this is this point in the story, this is where a lot of timestamps are. So bear with me. I'm going to attempt to talk much slower. <laughs> Stephen drops Heather back off at her apartment between 1 and 1.15 a.m. 20 minutes later, at 1.35 a.m., someone called Heather from a payphone, and the call lasted five minutes. At 1.44 a.m., Heather calls Brianna and tells her that Sydney told her that he was, quote, leaving his wife and he missed her and wanted to see her, end quote. And Brianna didn't like this idea. She tells Heather, you know, you're in a good place. You know, we've moved past this relationship. You know, you you just saw what happened to you, the type of people they are. I don't want to see this happening to you again. So sleep on it and we will talk about it tomorrow. And this call lasts two minutes and 20 seconds. At 2.29 a.m., Heather attempts to call the payphone back, but there is no answer. At 2.42 a.m., Heather's phone pings at Longbeard Bar and Restaurant in Carolina Forest. At 2.57 a.m., she leaves Longbeard Bar and Restaurant and then heads to Augusta Plantation Drive, but she turns around and goes back to Longbeard. At 3.16 a.m., while her phone is still at Longbeard, she attempts to call Sydney's phone, but there is no answer. Heather goes back to her apartment at 3.19 a.m., but then she attempts to call Sydney again, and this time it picks up. The call lasts 4 minutes and 15 seconds. Sydney's phone showed that it was at his home, and Heather's phone showed that it was at her apartment. At 3.25 a.m., Heather's phone leaves her apartment, after the phone answers when she calls Sydney. She heads towards Peachtree Landing in this area, and, you know, in this area there's boat landing. It's pretty secluded, and she stops at 3.37 a.m. At 3.36 a.m., a private home surveillance camera captures a dark-colored Ford F-150 coming from the direction of Tammy and Sydney Moore's home and heading in the direction towards Peachtree Landing. The camera is only 1.7 miles from Tammy and Sydney Moore's house. At 3.39, Heather tries to call Sydney's phone again, but there is no answer. Heather attempts to call him 46 seconds later after the first call and directly after the second call again, but there was no answer. At 3.39 a.m., a business surveillance camera captures another surveillance capture, <laughs> how do you say it, um, of a dark colored Ford F-150 heading in the direction of Peachtree Landing coming from the Moore house. 
At 3.41 a.m., Heather calls Sydney again, and there is no answer. At 3.42 a.m., Heather's phone activity stops. At 3.45 a.m., the business surveillance camera that captured the Ford F-150 driving towards Peachtree Landing sees the Ford F-150 driving away from Peachtree Landing in the direction of the Moore House, and the home surveillance video camera at 3.46 captures the truck coming back. On December 19th, Heather's car was found. It was a green Dodge Interpede that was found at Peachtree Landing, and the car was parked across the parking lots, so not directly in a parking space. Basically, like what trucks do, they park across the parking lot instead of like in the parking space because the truck can't fit. Police went to Heather's parents' house after running the license plate and seeing that the car was registered to Terry Elvis, which is Heather's father. They go there and ask him about the car, and Terry has a spare set of keys, so they go to the car and he opens the car and they look around and see that her keys, ID, and purse were not inside. The police let Terry search the car, and they even let him drive the car home. Because I don't think the police knew what was happening. I don't think that they knew that there was a missing person involved in this, and that it could have been much worse, and that the car might, could have been a crime scene. They didn't take pictures, they didn't dust it for fingerprints. They didn't do anything that you do at a crime scene because they didn't really know. The people that knew Heather started to call her phone, but there was no answer. They went to her, her apartment and she wasn't there and she never showed up for work. Horry County Police began a missing persons investigation for Heather and right away, Stephen Shiraldi is cleared. He tells police that all he did was drop her off, and he hadn't seen Heather since, and his mother was able to back up his claims because they were together. Heather was still on her family phone plan, so through Terry, they were able to gain access of her cell phone records, and what they see on the cell phone records is basically the entire timeline that I just talked about. The manager at the Tilted Kilt that knew about Heather and Sydney told police, like, hey, you should talk to Sydney more. Now, the family didn't know about the depths of their relationship. They didn't know that she was having a full-blown affair, and that's why it didn't click with them the first time. You know, that they should probably talk to Sydney more. Like, they had no idea who might have done whatever, where she could have been. They had no idea about the Sydney guy. They bring Sydney Moore in for questioning, and they ask him where he was that night, and he said that him and Tammy went to Walmart, and that was confirmed through security footage. He says that he was handcuffed to the bed, and that it was an every night thing, where he was handcuffed, and Tammy had the keys, so he couldn't have gone anywhere. 
when they ask him, you know, did you happen to make a stop by the payphone and call Heather, he denies ever making the phone call, but police have surveillance of him at the payphone at the time on the phone. <laughs> at the phone, the time that Heather's phone rang. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes that you can't really lie when there's a whole surveillance camera that sees you. So he's like, yes, I did call her, but I called her to tell her to leave me and my wife alone and stop bothering me. And police are like, okay, okay, okay. That seems fair enough. You can definitely call someone and tell them to stop bothering you, right? But why drive to a payphone at one in the morning and use a payphone when you have your own phone? Tammy literally used her and Sydney's phone to harass Heather, and now all of a sudden you take all that energy to go to a payphone to call her at one in the morning to say what? Leave me alone? No. It's not adding up. No. No. Heather and Sydney's cell phone records show that Heather never called Sydney once after they ended their relationship. So again, it doesn't make sense that you call someone from a payphone at one in the morning, wasting gas, to tell her to leave you alone since, you know, she's been left you alone since October and we're in December now. Hmm. When police talk to Brianna, Heather's roommate and best friend, she tells police exactly what Heather told her when she called after talking to Sydney about how he wants to leave his wife and be with Heather and that Heather wanted to meet up with Sydney, but Brianna said, let's not do that right away. Let's wait and talk about it in the morning. Two times in February, Sydney filed a police report saying that there were people firing their weapons at him when he was driving on local roads. People were harassing him and his family. Now, they were doing this because now they knew that there was a missing girl and that Sydney was a possibly the last person to have talked to her. Now, Tammy wrote a Facebook message to one of her friends talking about how they've been treated by the police and by the locals. It's pretty long, but I'm going to read it. She says, quote, while Sydney cheated on me in the months of September and October with a psycho whore who has since went missing and now her crazy daddy is threatening to kill my children and Sydney, therefore making Sydney stupid. This girl grabbed his business card out of the office at her workplace and had fantasies about him as far back as March, but talking about him in July, naming him. I don't know of any other word to describe my husband at this point. All you have to do is research this girl's Twitter, although four months of it has gone missing in the past couple of weeks and her Tumblr to see what a twisted person she truly is. I could care less seeing that I had a boyfriend of my own for the past couple of years, but when someone brings my children into this scenario, it's a whole other story. I will not tolerate anyone hurting my children because my husband banged a hoe 
three times in the backseat of her car and nothing more. I could care less what he screwed around with, but the fact that this jerk is stalking my family is unacceptable. End quote. So she was claiming that Terry Elvis was threatening to kill all of them, but there was really no proof of that. On February 21st, the police execute a search warrant of the Moore's residence. Police noticed that at their house, they have this brand new state-of-the-art surveillance system, and Sydney told police that it was recently installed, but there would be no footage of December 17th because the cameras were not there. They search his brand new Ford F-150, and what they find is pretty interesting. In the truck, it has a brand new GPS system tracking device thing. I don't know how many words to put together for that part. So it's possible that you can disengage the system. And the video that they recorded to show how you disengage the GPS system on ABC 2020. So picture this. It's a SIM card, and when you push down on it, it pops out, and when you take it out, warning signs start popping up all over the vehicle, saying that there is no SD card in the GPS tracking system. So it's nothing that you can ignore. It's not unintentional. So, you know, there is no mistake in that. You have to physically take the card out for you to know that there is no GPS tracking system device thingy in the car. And after searching the place for 11 hours, they were arrested and charged with kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and two counts of indecent exposure. They were charged with indecent exposure because they took sexually explicit pictures of themselves in public places. The obstruction of justice charge because Sydney basically lied about not using the payphone, and the only reason he said yes was because there was security footage to prove he was there. On February 24th, 2014, the police held a press conference and said that they were being charged with the murder of Heather Elvis. They said that they found something that led them to believe that Sydney and Tammy had kidnapped and murdered Heather, but they never said exactly what they found. In 2015, Sydney and Tammy were released from prison after 11 months. Their bail was set at $100,000 each. At the bond hearing, the prosecutor said that there was no direct length of them having anything to do with Heather's disappearance. The Moore family were like, ah, we're being threatened by the Elvis family. We're scared. So they all agreed to have the Moors have a GPS tracking device system thingy (laughs) on them and to stay away from the Elvis family and to avoid them on social media. Now, Because of the charges, no one in this case got a lot of public attention, public media. No one wanted to work with 
Sydney, especially in Horry County, because like I said, this case was all over the news. So Sydney found a job in Florida and the judge let them move to Florida while the case was still pending. They were still being tracked and they still had to follow the rules, but they were just able to move to Florida, which if you're a murder suspect, I've never, never, I've never heard of that before. In March 2016, the murder charges were dropped without prejudice, meaning that they could charge them again for murder if they wanted to. The kidnapping charges were dropped to pending as well, and they also dropped the indecent exposure charges against both of them. On June 20th, 2016, Sydney's trial started for the kidnapping of Heather Elvis, and this bombshell drops that Heather might have been pregnant. When Sydney went to Walmart on the receipt that the police found, they saw that he bought a pregnancy test and cigars. So he goes to Walmart, then the payphone, to call Heather and allegedly meet up with Heather. Sydney said that the pregnancy test was for Tammy because they had been trying for a baby, which I don't get because I think when you find out that your partner is having an affair, the last thing you want to do is have a baby, even though a lot of people have done that. And it's like, what is a baby going to do? It's definitely not going to stop making you cheat because you've already had three kids and you had a whole affair before. So it's like, why do we keep bringing children into a world where situations like that, I shall say. At the tilted kilt, like I mentioned before, there is a specific uniform. It's like Hooters, where it's a skimpy outfit. For the uniform, it's a bra and a miniskirt. Heather's bra size is originally a A cup, and she requested a B cup and then going to a C cup bra size. Her manager at the Tilted Kilt said that Heather took a pregnancy test, but it came back as an error. Now, I've never taken a pregnancy test, but correct me if I'm wrong, but from all the YouTube videos that I've seen of people taking a pregnancy test, it's usually a negative and a positive. I just learned how to read one probably like a year ago. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> I don't I don't have a reason to necessarily need one at this moment in life. But yeah, it's usually a negative or positive or it's like one or two lines. And if they're not sure, they, you know, take multiple tests, sometimes from different brands. So for a pregnancy test to come back as an error, that's information. That's brand new information to my ears. And that is weird. Another manager that worked with Heather got a call from Tammy saying that they have to fire Heather. El Sydney isn't going to work there as well. Now, this was another time that Tammy called. So Tammy said that Heather was going around saying she's pregnant with Sydney's child, 
But the manager didn't fire Heather because, you know, that's her personal life for one. Two, she did her job. She was a good person. She came in on time. There was no reason to fire her. After seven hours of deliberating, the jury became a hung jury, and that's when the jury can't come to an agreement. Now, without a body and without evidence that Sydney killed Heather, ten of the jury wanted to convict him, and two didn't. Now, that says a lot with the little evidence that they have that ten of them wanted to convict him, and two didn't. Also, one of the juries was a friend of Sidney Moore's lawyer, but the judge didn't think anything of it. He just let it go, and as you all know, you can't have relationships like that, especially if you're going to be on jury duty. You have to know nothing. You have to know no one. All the information that you gather is just in the courtroom, not from the news, not from other people's opinion. In 2017, Sydney went to trial for the obstruction of justice charge and was sentenced to 10 years, which is the maximum sentence of that charge. In October 2018, five years after Heather's disappearance, Tammy went on trial for kidnapping and conspiracy charges. She was found guilty and sentenced to 30 years for both charges. So that will be a total of 60 years, and she'll be eligible for parole once she serves a certain amount of time. In 2019, Sidney Moore was convicted of kidnapping Heather Elvis and sentenced to 30 years on top of the 10 years of the obstruction of justice charge. Throughout this entire case, They have never said what happened to Heather Elvis that night on December 18th, 2013. And they still, to this day, have claimed they are innocent. Seven years later, no one knows what happened to Heather or where she might be. There have been no leads since, and all police know is just Tammy and Sydney. That's all that they know. I honestly wish that it was like a mandatory part of sentencing where people have to tell law enforcement where they put the victims because it gives the family closure. It gives me the closure and it gives you the closure. Like, I don't want to stay up at night knowing that someone out there has been missing for years and years on end and they could be anywhere in this world it bothers me it honestly bothers me and it keeps me up at night a lot of criminals how do you say it bring that to the grave with them um and even if they're in prison it's still a way for them to control and keep the family up at night because they have no idea where their daughter is their niece sister brother son mother father they don't know where their family member their loved one or their friend is at and it gives the criminals the power of still 
holding on to that. Because, you know, criminals just crave power and attention. Now, my whole thing with relationships, I'm not in a relationship, um, but I, you can only learn from people's relationships, is that if your partner is cheating on you, why are you staying with him? Why not blame your partner for what they did instead of harassing a stranger that is young, naive, and probably doesn't know better? But at the same time, if you are talking to someone romantically and find out that they are married, end it, please. Like, why are you going to harass a girl, but your husband is still going to cheat? It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. It's like, hmm, what is a great example? It's like me having a fresh, nice pair of white shoes and I walk in mud. I'm not going to cuss the mud out because the mud's always going to be there. I'm going to cuss myself out because it's like, are you that stupid to walk in mud with white shoes on? Really? I hope that, hopefully that made sense. (laughs) Um, Heather was moving on from the relationship. She even went on another date with a guy. She was moving on in her life and they just swooped right back in and just stole her life. So lessons to learn because there is always a lesson to learn in everything. One, if your partner is cheating, leave. Two, if you have to tie your partner to a bed and get your name tattooed on them to prove some love loyalty thing, something is wrong with you and you should probably get help, get a different partner, or just not be in a relationship. Three, if your partner is cheating on you, take that up with your partner because they are the problem. Heather was just a young girl trying to find her way in this world and I honestly hope that at some point we know exactly what happened to her and where she is. And that is the end of today's story. I would love to know what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every Thursday. You can follow my Instagram at criminalcuriositypod where you can see the pictures of the case. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating because it helps me out so much. You can also request any cases through Instagram or Gmail, which I will have in the description box. And please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time. Bye, everyone.